when thinking about Christmas songs, what images often come to mind? Maybe some of you think about chestnuts roasting on an open fire, or a sleigh ride through the snow, or a Christmas tree with lovely branches. Maybe some of you more spiritual people, you think about the baby Jesus in a manger, or shepherds on a hillside, or angels on high. But let me ask you this. How many of you think about a mighty Savior coming to save? A crucified Lord, a risen Savior. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, ah, Graham, I think you're thinking about Easter. I mean, Easter is when we sing about salvation, right? Christmas is about Jesus' birth, about his beginnings here on earth. And that's the way many of us think, isn't it? When we think about Christmas, we think about the birth of Jesus, the beginnings of his earthly ministry. And when we think about Easter, we think about that, let's be honest, as being a bit more significant spiritually because it's about the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's about our salvation. And when we sing songs this time of year, we like to sing songs about that night when Jesus was born and about the details surrounding that event. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, it's good for us to, to focus on the details of that event. But the, the Christmas songs I prefer are not just songs about the details of that event, but songs about the significance of that event. Not so much songs like, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, but songs that sing, that songs that say, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I'm sorry if I ruined away in the manger for a few of you in here. But in my opinion, Christmas songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Joy to the World are better by far because, listen folks, Christmas is so much more than a story about a baby in a barn. It's about God coming down, taking on flesh, and living among us. It's more than a story about a a significant historical event. It's a story about one of the most important events in all of human history. Christmas is more than a celebration of a, a birth of an important historical figure. It's a celebration of our salvation. That was made possible because the eternal Son of God left the riches of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived for us and was obedient in our place and died in our place to save us. This morning we're going to look at a Christmas song that I believe really gets at this. And here's the thing about this song, like the song we looked at last week, Though many of you may have read through this song a time or two, maybe you've even studied it, or maybe you've never read it at all, this is one song that you will not hear on the radio this time of year. 
and as a song that will not be sung during our song service. But this song, like Mary's song last week, really captures, I believe, the significance of this event, of the Christmas story. So let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 1. Continuing our study through the first chapter and a half of Luke, titled Luke's Christmas Story. And we're going to tackle another large passage this week. This is just a massive first chapter, isn't it? 80 verses. And we're going to look at verses 57 through 80 of Luke 1 this morning. And we're going to be talking about Zechariah's Christmas song. Now, some of you who remember our story from a few weeks ago, you're probably thinking to yourself, how can Zechariah have a Christmas song when he's unable to speak? Remember in the first part of of chapter 1, he's approached by the angel Gabriel in the temple, and he is told that he's going to have a son who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah questions Gabriel, which is ultimately questioning God, right? Because Gabriel is his, is his messenger, and as punishment for questioning this promise, as punishment for Zechariah's unbelief, Gabriel says, your wife is still going to have this baby, but because of your unbelief, you're going to be unable to speak. So Zechariah is left unable to communicate verbally. Yet in the latter half of Luke chapter 1, we have this wonderful and worshipful song of praise from him. So what happens to this reluctant and skeptical priest? How is his voice restored and what leads him to sing this wonderful and worshipful Christmas song? Well, we have our answer here in this passage. Let's start by looking at verses 57 through 66. Look at it with me. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day... They came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he should be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. This is Zechariah. And he wrote, His name is John. Now stop there for a minute. Now I don't know this for sure, But my guess is, this had been a long, hard nine months for Zechariah. What do you think? The Lord had taken away his ability to speak. Many commentators believe he couldn't hear either because they're signing to him in this passage, though we don't know that for sure. We're just told that he's unable to speak for nine months or more. And think about this. He would have had tons of things on his mind. I mean, think about what's going on in his life. First of all, he's having a son. Remember, Zachariah and Elizabeth were, were old. For the longest time, they were unable to have kids. Oh, they tried time and time again and made this a, a constant matter of prayer. They brought this before the Lord over and over again, yet they were unable. And we discussed a few weeks ago how devastating that would be for someone like them in their culture. So when Elizabeth... Zechariah's wife conceives. I'm sure Zechariah is on cloud nine. 
would have loved to have been able to talk about it with his wife and with his friends and other family members, but he could not. Notice in this passage that after his son is born, his neighbors and members of his family are, are meeting with Elizabeth to rejoice with her. And I'm, I'm sure Zechariah would have loved to have been able to rejoice with them and vocalize the joy that he was feeling, but he could not. I'm sure it was very, very difficult for Zechariah. Another reason this would have been difficult for this priest is because of what he had been told about the child. This newborn... Everyone was rejoicing over, had a special calling on his life even before he was conceived. And I'm sure Zechariah, a priest who knew a little something about special callings, would have loved to have shared with his friends and his family about his encounter with Gabriel and about what his son had been put on earth to do and about the other special child who was coming that his son was going to direct people toward. But again, he could not. I imagine this was tough for Zechariah, but all that changes shortly after his son's birth. Notice when it came time to circumcise and name this child, the neighbors and the relatives sought to name him after his father. But, but Elizabeth insisted that his name be John, which completely floored those in the group. They basically said, why would you do that? You don't have anybody in your family named John. Let's ask Zechariah, they said. So they go to Zechariah. Of course, he can't say anything. So he finds a tablet to write it down, and he affirms that this child is to be named John. And after writing this down, we're told God restores Zechariah's speech. And notice the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are praise to the Lord. Look at verse 64 through 66. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now though the angel had told Zachariah, that he would be able to speak once again when these promises were fulfilled. My guess is many of his relatives and friends thought Zachariah's condition was permanent. So when his voice is restored, those who, who witnessed this, they, they were in awe. And they knew the moment it happened, there was something very, very special about this child who had been born. Now, chances are good they knew the child was special to begin with. But it wasn't until they witnessed this miracle with Zechariah and viewed it in connection with the birth of John that they were truly convinced. And Luke tells us that in response, they began going out and, and spreading the word that the hand of the Lord is upon this family and is especially with this child. And I want to draw your attention to something we learn here about Zechariah. Like I said earlier, the reason Zechariah was in the situation he was in was because of his lack of faith. Earlier in, in Luke 1, we're told about that. He failed to trust in the promises of God and he paid the price. But Luke shows us here that through this difficult time in Zechariah's life, God had been doing a great work in him. During those months of silence, 
He had been growing and maturing Zechariah. And when the opportunity presented itself to him again, Zechariah didn't miss the chance, did he? But he expressed true belief. Remember the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that he was going to have a son, that he was to name him John, but he did not believe. He did not trust God's promise. But when given another opportunity, Zechariah doesn't miss the chance to embrace this promise. When asked what the name of the child should be, Zechariah doesn't hesitate. I bet he was looking frantically for a tablet. Would you? To affirm that his name was to be John. Zechariah's heart had been changed. His heart was finally in the right place. And you know how I know this? Not just by this passage we just read here, but because of what's recorded next. In the following verses in verses 67 through 80 Luke records for us another wonderful song of praise we looked at Mary's song last week and now we turn our attention to Zachariah's Christmas song and notice what makes this such a wonderful and worshipful song first notice Zachariah's song is a song of redemption it's a song of redemption look at verse 68 Zachariah says Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice here that as Zechariah thinks about the arrival of his son and the coming of the Messiah, redemption is what comes to mind. And notice his great faith here. He says, God has visited and has redeemed, past tense, his people. Again, remember, earlier in this chapter, he questioned God's messenger, Gabriel, that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. But notice here how much Zechariah has matured. Jesus has not yet been born, yet he's speaking of the salvation that Christ is going to accomplish in the past tense. He says God has visited and has redeemed his people. Zachariah's mentality is, if God has promised it, it's as good as done. Folks, that's what faith is. It's personal and complete trust in the promises of God. And that's exactly what Zachariah shows us here. So when thinking about the arrival of his son and the coming of the Messiah, redemption is what is on Zachariah's mind, and that should be our focus as well this time of year. When we think about Christmas... When we think about the promise made to Joseph and Mary, and when we think about the birth and the barn in Bethlehem, when we think about Jesus' birth and His beginnings here on earth, the cross should be on our minds. We think about Christmas. We should think of Christ coming to earth. But when we think of Christ coming to earth, what we should be thinking about is salvation. That's the reason he came. That's the reason God the Son emptied himself by taking on flesh is to save us. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Listen to these lyrics. 
Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Folks, that's why Jesus came. He was born to set God's people free. He was born to deliver His people. He was born to deliver us from our sins. He was born to reign in us forever. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about redemption. Zechariah very much understands this. When we think about Christmas, and when we reflect on what God has done for us, What should come to our minds is what Jesus came to do. He came to free us. He came to deliver us. He came to release us. He came to reign in us. So Zechariah's song is a wonderful and worshipful song because it's a song of redemption. Notice also, it's a song of power. It's a song of power. Look at verse 69. Zechariah says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, what does that mean? What is he talking about there? Well, horn of salvation is an Old Testament phrase, and it was used by David when he is being chased by King Saul, but then rescued by God. He says, David says, when he's rescued from Saul by God, he says, God is my rock, he is my refuge, he is the horn of my salvation. And and here Zechariah is using that phrase, again, as a picture and a symbol of strength, like the horn of an animal, like a ram. When I was... Growing up, I've always been a big sports fan, but when I was young, I liked teams based upon the look of their uniform. And uh, that's just the way I was as a a kid. I liked the the cooler the uniform, I I liked the team. And uh, one of those teams I I really liked, their uniform was the St. Well, they were the Los Angeles Rams at the time. And now they're in St. Louis. And I just, I, I just thought their, their helmet, that ram on the helmet and on the sleeve just looked tough, you know, even though they're not great nowadays. And, of course, having Eric Dickerson play for your team is, is another reason why they were more intimidating. Here's a picture of Eric Dickerson wearing the uniform. Those of you all that know him know he was an intimidating figure for a while in the NFL. But uh, I just like the look of the ram on the side of the helmet and on the sleeves. They just look tough. They just looked intimidating. And that's what's meant by putting those horns on the helmet. It's a sign of power. The horn of a ram, it's it's a sign of power. That's what Zachariah is saying here to us. He's saying, get this, God has redeemed us with power. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He has raised up a conquering king. He has raised up a mighty savior. So notice here, Zechariah's Christmas song. It's a song of power. It's a song of strength. His song is not about the little Lord Jesus laying down his sweet head. It's about a conquering king, a victorious warrior, a mighty savior. It's about Jesus, the horn of our salvation. Zechariah's song is a song of power. 
the child born in Bethlehem, get this, he is the king who is coming to conquer death. He's coming to undo the consequences of the fall. He's going to reverse the curse. He's coming to accomplish salvation. He's coming in strength. He's coming as our Lord. He's coming to rule and reign. Guess what? For those of you all who prefer the, the sweetness of this event, an attempt to over-sentimentalize Jesus' birth, get this, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that sort of emphasis in the Scriptures. What you find more often than not is verses like Luke 169 that emphasize the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus and of this story. Why? Because Christmas is about salvation. It's about God raising up a horn of salvation for us. It's about Him sending us a mighty Savior to conquer sin and death and make us right with Him. Zechariah's song is a song of power. It's also a song of fulfillment. Another reason Zechariah's Christmas song is a, is a great song is because it accurately shows us how these events at Christmas are fulfillments of promises made by God long ago. The accounts of John's birth and the coming of the Messiah, they're not a series of surprising, unexpected and unforeseen events. They were looking forward to this day because these are fulfillments of the promises that God made. Look again at verse 69. He says, And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant who? David. Folks, it's not by coincidence nor by random chance that King Jesus is born into the family of David. This is a fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7 when God promised David that one of his descendants was going to sit on his throne forever. Zechariah here is telling us that, that God's horn of salvation, his mighty Savior, his forever King, that he promised David hundreds of years ago is coming. Folks, Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament promise made to King David. Jesus is also a fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. Look at verses 70 through 74. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What Zechariah is saying here is that these events surrounding the coming of the Messiah into the world, which of course will, will end with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, is a direct fulfillment of an old promise God made to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless him and he would curse those who curse him. And he said that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham, And he reiterates this promise in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, and in Genesis 22, and so forth. And here in Luke 1, Luke is recording this song of Zechariah, where Zechariah is reminding us that these events, Jesus coming into the world and the coming of his son, John, who's going to direct people toward Jesus, they're fulfillments of the promises 
that God made to Abraham. And do y'all know we're a fulfillment of that promise today? We are. We're a fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham, aren't we? And, and we see further fulfillment of this promise on a daily basis as the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out and as people respond in faith and are brought in, we are blessed, aren't we? Nations are being blessed today because of this promise. God has been faithful to this promise, hasn't he? So I love Zechariah's song here. It addresses this. And though I love the old song, O Holy Night, I love the lyrics in the song, there's a line in it that sort of bothers me. And it's when, uh, it's a line that, that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. There's something about that line that just makes it seem as if Jesus sort of came out of left field, just out of nowhere, in an unforeseen kind of way. Long lay the world, we didn't know what was going to happen. Then he appeared, and then we knew everything was going to be okay. But folks, God had made this promise that Jesus would come thousands of years beforehand. He told Adam and Eve in the garden that the seed of Eve, not the seed of Adam, because Jesus is virgin born, the seed of Eve, through that seed was going to come Jesus, the Messiah, who was going to crush Satan. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. First book of the Bible, third chapter. We're promised a Messiah to come. That's why I love the old hymn, For unto us a child is born from Handel's Messiah. Listen to these lyrics. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And some of you are thinking, well, what's so special about that song? Well, you know where it comes from? Isaiah chapter 9, written hundreds of years before Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. With this song, Handel is stressing the fact that this event, the Christmas story, the story of our Savior's birth, is a fulfillment of promises God made long, long ago. And the writers of the New Testament, they go to great lengths to stress this as well. They go to great lengths to stress the fact that the Christmas story is not just a story of God's mercy and grace and love, though it is all of those things, but it's also a story of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful to his people, folks. He has kept every promise he has ever made. And folks, Christmas time is a time to reflect and remember and praise God for his great faithfulness. You know what song we should be singing at this time of year? Great is thy faithfulness. That's a great Christmas song. Because the Christmas story is a story of God's faithfulness to his people. But not only that, not only is Christmas a time when we're reminded of God's faithfulness to us, but get this, it's also a time when we need to be reminded of just as God has been faithful to us, we are to in turn be faithful to him. Listen to Zechariah's words in verses 74 and 75. He says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah is clear here that 
that God has been faithful to provide salvation for us so that we in turn would be faithful to him and live our lives unto him and for him all of our days. So this song, it's a song of redemption. It's a song of power. It's a song of fulfillment. Lastly, it's a song centered on Christ. Zechariah's song is centered on Christ. Look at verses 76 through 80. And you, child, Zechariah is talking about his son here. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Notice here, Zechariah finally gets around to answering the question that everyone was asking about his son. Remember they were asking, what what is this child going to be? What is this boy going to grow up and do? What role does God have for this child? And notice here that instead of Zechariah just focusing all the attention on his son and saying, well, as for my son, you know, he's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be the greatest prophet the world's ever known. He's going to play a pivotal role in God's redemption story. Instead, notice what Zechariah does here. He does what his son does later in ministry. He does what his wife did when she was with Mary. He deflects all of the focus away from himself and his son and his family, and he directs all the focus toward the Savior. Notice he doesn't refer to his son as a highly exalted prophet, but rather prophet of the Most High. He doesn't say, my son is going to do great things. He says, my son is going to prepare the way for the great one, for the great Savior. He says he will give light to those who sit in darkness. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. And how is he going to do that? By directing people toward Jesus. He basically says, this story is not ultimately about me. It's not about my family. It's not ultimately about my son. It's all about Jesus. He says, the only thing special about me, the only thing special about my son is the fact that my son's going to grow up. In our family, and he's going to grow up, and he's going to go on to direct people toward the Savior. Like I said last week, Zechariah, like his wife Elizabeth, and like his son John later proves, he's not all about Zechariah, is he? He's all about Jesus. Folks, the application here is simple. We are to be all about Jesus, especially this time of year. We tend to put all of our focus this time of year, all of our focus, all of our energy into our families, into our spouse, and into our kids. And though we should put time and energy there, folks, get this, first and foremost, this time of year, we're to be focused upon Christ. Christ. It's a shame that this season is all about him, yet many of us go through it year after year hardly even thinking about him unless we're in here. Zachariah's focus here is on point because it's on Jesus. 
May that be said of us. Let me challenge you this year. This year, this Christmas season, make your focus Jesus. Make your focus Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, my focus has never been on Jesus. And the reason why is because you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. I pray if this is you, that changes this morning. Folks, whether our world likes it or not, this here is what Christmas is all about. It is. The Christmas story is a story of salvation. It's a story of God fulfilling a promise he made long ago in the beginning that he was going to redeem a fallen world and restore a broken people by sending his son. This story, the Christmas story, is the story of God the Son, Jesus, taking on flesh, living among us in our place. And it's the story of Him dying a death we deserve to die and conquering sin and death for us through His death, burial, and resurrection so that we, through Him, could be made right with God and be raised to walk in newness of life. That's the Christmas story. For those of you in here this morning who are trusting in Christ for your salvation, this is your story. And if you're not, this can be your story. It can be your story this morning. If you would turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you have not, pray you wouldn't leave here today without making that decision. Let's pray.